Hello everybody, I hope that you're all doing well. Well, let me say that I'm really excited for this week. We have an amazing collection of stories for you to listen to. I really hope that you enjoy them. Let's get into it, as we drift further into Mr. Creep's mind. I'm a low-level U.S. government employee. I just saw something that I wasn't supposed to see. Written by World Away Tweety. You know that meme about how presidents and governors, after getting elected, look super shell-shocked and stressed the next time they make a public appearance? Like the first thing that happens after you come into power is that you're pulled into a room and told all the secrets of the world. Well, it turns out that it's true. As a matter of fact, it's a VHS tape. The four-hour tape was always a bit of an urban legend at the office. I'll be keeping the details of my role in government very, very vague. But to be absolutely clear, I am very low-level. My role is caked between layers of bureaucracy and in the grand scheme of things, it's a pretty inconsequential role. When you're working at my level, you're generally not privy to any high-level secrets. Yes, top-secret meetings did occasionally happen in our building, but my focus is pretty limited and heavily administrative. So you do what any other department does when you're in the bottom rung of the hierarchy. You discuss rumors, rumblings, crazy conspiracy theories, and everything in between. It's water cooler conversation for us. Man, I wonder what the folks are doing at the top right now. You know, that kind of stuff. Out of all the rumors that fluttered around the office, the four-hour tape was always the one that I found the most fascinating. The crux of it, once you reached the highest clearance level, you were sat down and shown this tape. None of us knew what the contents of the tape were, or if a tape like this even actually existed. But it was fun to speculate about it every now and then. Most of the time we found with our little rumors and conspiracy theories that the most mundane answer was usually the correct one. Life in general finds a way to surprise us with how boring everything can be. Now there is something you should know about me before I continue. I'm a wimp. I'm meek, anxious, and generally restless. I'm a chronic rule follower. There is no part of me that wants to dig up secret documents and uncover the truth about what happens at the highest levels of government in our country. So, when I discussed the events of four nights ago, please be mindful of that. I didn't ask for this, and I'm only sharing because I don't know how much time I have left anyway. And I can't live with this stuck in my conscience alone. It was nighttime at the office. I'm known to be a bit of a chronic workaholic, and there was something that I really wanted to get done before the week was over. So I was working later than usual. I went to print a document on what I thought was the printer in my immediate vicinity. The notification on my computer showed that my document was being printed, but I didn't hear any noise or paper coming out from my local printer. I checked the name of the device that I had selected and it looked like that I had accidentally clicked on a printer that was being used on another floor. I sighed. In any normal circumstances, I probably would have just forgotten about that mistake and reprinted the documents at my local printer again. But our general management here is quite stringent on us making sure 
that all confidential documents are accounted for. We are not allowed to share department-specific documentation to other departments. Screw it, I thought. I looked up a map in my inbox showing the locations of all the company printers. Turns out that I had accidentally clicked on the printer named Prince Charming on the 7th floor. Pretty funny name. And off I went. I really should have just let it be. I got to the elevator and I rode it up to the 7th floor. I emerged onto the mostly empty office area. In case you were wondering, the building that I work in is huge, but I worked there long enough to know my way around it, so I knew the area surrounding the printer relatively well. I made my way through the hallways and eventually I spotted the printer with my freshly printed papers minting it. I gave myself a mental pat on the back for continuing my lifelong streak of following the rules. As I went to grab the papers, I noticed some light buzz in a meeting room nearby. I looked through the window to see roughly 10 people hanging out around a snack table. In the room was a large old looking TV on a cart, and rows of some of the fanciest folding chairs that I had ever seen, organized in a neat fashion. I didn't think much of it and I started walking off, until I heard the door open. Hey, it's Mr. Boskowitz, right? Jesus man, we were supposed to start 15 minutes ago. Get in here. Oh, what? No, sorry, I think you have the wrong. I don't care why you're late, just get in here. Grab a plate of snacks and sit down, we're starting soon. Put your phone in the bag, the electronic watch in the bag, and anything else on your person that can be used to record audio or video. He responded hastily. Something about his sternness and tone short-circuited my brain. For guys like me, there is a third option beyond fight or flight. It's called the just go with it until it's over, also known as the captured rabbit strategy. I put my phone and my watch in the bag and I meekly tried to butt in with another. Sir, I'm not Mr. Boskowitz. But he had already pulled me into the room at this point. He closed the door and he walked to the front of the TV. I thought about making a break for it, but I decided to just see it through at this point. Hoping deep down that whatever was happening was as inconsequential as my job was. Everyone had their snack plates and were heading to their seats. I awkwardly grabbed a muffin from the snack table, put it on a napkin and took a seat in the very back row. Everyone was spaced out from each other. It didn't seem like any of these folks knew one another. I quietly sighed at the thought of having to sit through some sort of boring informational seminar or irrelevant training session. After a few minutes of everyone settling in, the men who originally brought me into the room started talking. There was an equally serious guy standing next to him and a secret service looking fella standing in the corner. Huh. I started wondering to myself why we were going to watch a video off of a very old school looking TV. It felt like we were back in elementary school or something. Alright, I just need to do a final run through before we get started. The men at the front said. I know that you all read through the emails and signed your releases. I just wanted to recap some of the ground rules. You're allowed to get up and grab another snack. But beyond that, we want you to pay full attention to the tape once it starts playing. If any of you need to go to the bathroom, we strongly urge you to wait until the presentation is over. 
If you absolutely have to go, we will pause the tape and one of us will escort you. There is water in the corner by the snacks. Cops are right there as well and, uh, man goes without saying. But any discussion of this presentation to folks who do not have top, compartmented clearance is a breach of your terms of employment. A breach of your non-disclosure agreement. And a breach of your multiple signed releases. A branch of the U.S. Criminal Code in the state of Redacted and a breach of the conditions laid out by the Committee for the Protection and Preservation of Human Consciousness. They started dimming the lights. Crap. It felt like I had missed any window of opportunity that I had to leave. Too late. That committee name he highlighted sounded way above my clearance level. One of the men at the front of the room pulled out a VHS tape from a bag and very slowly and securely put it into a VHS player. He pressed play. I took a deep breath. Those water cooler conversations that I had had with my coworkers were starting to flow to the top of my mind, but I quelled them. There was probably no need for panic. It was just a stupid government meeting. Right. The tape started. The beginning was familiar enough. Various disclaimers about this being incredibly confidential material, yada yada yada. Insignias of relevant organizations, presidential libraries, etc. I had seen a lot of videos like this already. But wait, that insignia looked strange like something was off. I scanned it. Presidential libraries, that same eagle, those same stars, weird. This time there was a navy blue hand on the left shoulder of the eagle. Did they update the logo? Before I had time to ruminate on it too much, the tape cut to a logo that I had actually never seen before. Committee for the Protection and Preservation of Human Consciousness. The logo was just an image of planet Earth. Fair enough. The video cut to a room that looked similar to the Congress floor, but with a few strange differences. The seats were much more spaced out. The podium looked like it had seen better days, and the whole room looked like to be on a pretty steep incline. Everything was in black and white. It looked like there were about 50 people in attendance, and it was hard to make out the faces. Everything looked very dated, like the video was from the 40s or the 50s. The tape lingered on this one shot for quite a while. Minutes passed, and I noticed what looked to be a choir all in outfits and perfectly huddled next to each other, standing in one of the corners of the room. It really felt like I shouldn't be seeing this. None of this was meant for my eyes. After a few more minutes, the tape abruptly cut to an awkward angle video of a man speaking at the podium in the room. It was too zoomed in enough that you couldn't see his eyes or his hair. It didn't look all that professional and I couldn't tell who he was. He spoke. Members of the Committee for the Protection and Preservation of Human Consciousness, I thank you all for coming tonight. We are lucky to be in the good graces of our visitors today, without rehashing our painful history. The tape got to a camera slowly panning over all the faces of the folks seated in the room. The attendees looked pained, somber. The man continued his speech as the camera continued to panning over the committee. We could acknowledge that the journey to this moment has been an arduous one. 
I am pleased to say that humanity faced with a dire ultimatum has come to a majority decision. To our esteemed guests from across the solar system, we are thankful for the opportunity that you have given us to negotiate with you. I felt adrenaline. Crap, we had made contact with extraterrestrial life. This was the truth. Maybe like the saying went, the truth would set me free. And before I outline the decision taken by humanity, I want to, from the bottom of my heart, to thank the brilliant representatives from all the nations of the world who came together to ensure that this decision was taken with utmost responsibility, care, and appreciation for our human species. I am aware that this was not a unanimous decision. Crap, what does that mean? I felt the sweat on my brow. I felt nausea coming in. I awkwardly and slowly took a bite out of my muffin. The tape returned to a now-corrected angle of the speaker at the podium. His eyes were visible and they looked strained, like they had seen multiple versions of death. To the nations who still disagree, he continued, I thank you nonetheless for accepting the majority decision. May this moment, which will be held in secrecy throughout the rest of time, be appreciated as a critical milestone for human civilization. Tonight is not a victory, it is a somber moment. However, we were faced with two options, extinction or accepting the agreement. We made our choice and I believe time will show that this was the right decision. What was this? I hereby announce that we accept the agreement provided by our special guests who have chosen to go by the name Redacted. The intergalactic species known as Redacted will allow humanity on planet Earth to continue to populate, grow, and innovate. In return, all governments of the world will honor the promise. He needed to spit it out. What the heck was this agreement? We will not be covering every element of the agreement in this session. I will, however, highlight the main points. At this point, the video showed the man at the podium looking down. He was reading off of something. For the first time, he looked nervous, scared even. I saw some humanity in him. We honor the agreement that Redacted hold the right to visit planet Earth on a reoccurring basis. They will be allowed to consume for the basis of nourishment a majority of the human population on planet Earth. After every visit, the remaining humans on Earth will be expected to breed and grow to capacity in time for the next visit. We acknowledge that we will maintain a parallel history which will be shared with our world's population to ensure that humanity stays motivated to continue existing as a species. This parallel history may suggest that mass extinction events the results of man-made folly, as opposed to the work of external forces. For the first time, my fight-or-flight response was actually flight. I wanted to escape, but I didn't know what I would even be running from. The last visit by Redacted was approximately in the year of 1346, and it lasted seven years. We will continue to honor our parallel history about this event. I just wanted it to end. The next visit, which will not be met with resistance, will be in the year 2028, and will run for one full calendar year on Earth. 
marking a 675-year gap between the last significant visit by the species known as Redacted. This visiting cadence is expected to speed up over time, as the remaining humans continue to sharpen their focus on building technology to allow humanity to reproduce in a speedy and productive manner. Jesus Christ, our planet is a farm. I wanted to look away, but I couldn't. The tape cut away to a larger view of the Congress-like room, the somber committee members in attendance, and the members of the choir in the corner, who I could only imagine looked horrified. But where were the visitors? Why couldn't I see them? The camera then panned to a number of large, empty seats, the same slow style of video panning as the one that happened earlier with the committee members. No visible entities in the seats, but the seats themselves looked blurry. The man at the podium carried on with the speech as the camera pan on those blurry seats continued. We should acknowledge the privilege of knowing that there is indeed life in the cosmos, that extraterrestrial life has chosen to visit our planet, and that the cycle and balance provided by nature extends beyond the confines of planet Earth. Much like humanity has found its place on Earth in the food chain, we acknowledge our place in the divine order of things when encountered with beings of greater power, understanding, cognitive function, and evolutionary progression. I shouldn't have stayed late at work. I should have made my identity clear from the very beginning. I knew that I wasn't supposed to be seeing this. And while... Crap. It really looked like the speaker was about to cry. While the process of consumption is a painful and lengthy one, we respect the trade-off that comes with the preservation of our species. We also acknowledge as part of the promise that substitutes for human life in the form of clones, should we discover that technology in the future, or other living species, will never function as viable alternatives for nourishment. The speaker continued, I didn't need to know this. This whole thing was way too specific for me. Our final major acknowledgement as part of this agreement is that we accept Redacted as the Great Almighty, as the entities we will now refer to as God. God, as an interstellar species, has revealed itself to us, and thus the continued existence of Redacted is now the true priority of the people of our planet. We are blessed to play a part in the continuation of God, and God we trust. Amen. The tape then cut to footage of the choir as the speaker continued. We bless our visitors with this gift, a performance of the national anthems of all major nations of the world will now commence. Audio of a very loud backing track of the star-spangled banner started playing from the video as my stomach sank. The tape showed footage of the choir singing on top of the track. Not sure if it was because they were scared for their lives, but... I could really tell that they were singing their hearts out. As they sang, the camera continued to pan over the blurry seeds. They finished singing the anthem, and suddenly, fast forwarding. Crap, I had forgotten that I was sitting in a room. I had disengaged from the video for a brief moment. I had mentally returned to the present day. This was our world. This was our lives. The men at the front continued fast-forwarding through the tape. 
It looked like they were skipping through performances of the other national anthems. The fast forwarding went on for a while and every small while, it looked like a new choir group was entering the Congress-like room to sing a different national anthem. On and on the tape went. I had to fight the urge to pass out. One of the men at the front of our room, standing next to the TV, started speaking up. We are legally obligated to get to the end of this tape, but you don't need to look at the rest of it. Please, feel free to look down or close your eyes or grab a snack, he said. I noticed the others seated in the room were taking that advice. Most of them had decided to look straight down. For some weird reason, I couldn't look away. The fast forwarding progressed, and on the tape it was yet another choir group joining to perform an anthem, and then another and another. It looked like we were near the end. The fast forwarding now showed a conversation between the man at the podium and another man who was whispering in his ear. The man at the podium was vehemently shaking his head. The other man continued whispering. This continued on. Eventually, there was a quick moment of the man at the podium begrudgingly nodding. The last few fast-forward moments of the tape remained burned in my memory to this very moment. They were pandemonium. The attendees were sitting in their chairs, frozen, shivering, and crying. The people in the various choirs were running around the rooms in fast motion. As blurry spots started covering them, and ungodly things started happening to them. Crap, why didn't I look away? If ever there was a time to follow orders, it felt like the whole thing went on for longer than it should have. Finally, the men at the front of our room stopped fast-forwarding. They pressed to play on the tape to cover the very final moment. In the tape, the man at the podium, clearly emotional, spoke his final line. The agreement has been ratified by Redacted. Thank you all for attending. The final shot of the video is the full room. The committee members in their seats, shivering and crying. The dismantled and bloodied choir members strewn about the room. The blurry seats with blood smeared on them. The video then cut away, back to that same insignia on a black backdrop. The presidential libraries. That eagle, those stars. The navy blue hand on the wing of the eagle. The lights in our room turned on. The rest of the night was a blur. The men at the front of the room told us it was best for us to sit for an hour to digest the information. No discussion about the video was allowed to take place. When we were ready to stand, we were allowed to leave and go home. They gave us some pointers on how to accept the information over the coming weeks. Things like taking long walks, exercising, watching a sitcom, etc., I wasn't worried about them realizing that I wasn't supposed to be there. If anything, I felt a strange camaraderie with everyone in the room. We were all truly in the same boat. As soon as I left the building and got in my car, I just drove. For as long as I could. I would stop for gas and then I would keep driving. I would stop again and then I would keep driving again and again. I'm holed up in a hotel now. I'm just glad that I could get this off my chest. The funny thing is, all I can think about is the length of that stupid tape. While I can confirm, I feel like if it were played straight through without fast forwarding, 
it would have only been for three hours. I wonder if the four-hour tape rumor came from the fact that we all needed that extra hour to digest the information. And now you're probably wondering, why don't I name the species that is going to spell humanity's doom throughout the rest of time? Why am I calling them redacted? Well, as the self-appointed leader of the committee for the acknowledgement that we should have just chosen extinction, I don't feel the need to honor our captors by calling them by their name. If I don't see you again, I appreciate the water cooler conversation. This week's episode is sponsored by ExpressVPN. So we all know how ExpressVPN protects your privacy and security online. But here's something that you might not know. You can also use it to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. If you're like me and you've run out of stuff to watch on Netflix, then this will change your world. This whole week I've been using ExpressVPN to binge Parks and Rec on UK Netflix, and it's super simple to do. I just click on the Express VPN app, change my location to the UK, refresh Netflix and I'm ready to go. ExpressVPN lets you control where you want sites to think that you're located, and you can choose from almost 100 different countries, so just imagine all the Netflix libraries that you can go through. Love Korean dramas? Use ExpressVPN to watch Parasite off a South Korean Netflix. I personally love Studio Ghibli movies, so I use ExpressVPN to access those movies as well, since they aren't available in the US and Canada. And it gets even better too. ExpressVPN doesn't just work with Netflix, but it works with all the other popular streaming services. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason that I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is because it's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream in HD with no problem. It's super convenient. And it also works on all of your devices. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, go to expressvpn.com slash mrcraves. Right now, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mrcreeps. Go to expressvpn.com slash mrcreeps to learn more. There is an extra student in my class. They've been writing me strange letters. Written by Saturdad. There should have been 21 assignments for me to grade, and yet I was looking at 22. It didn't make any sense. I doubled and triple checked the pile of papers, but there was no mistake. I only had 21 students and yet, there were 22 pages to grade. I was hunched over my desk, going through the pages one by one. I took note of all the names, trying to find the extra assignment. They were all simple essays where they described what they had done during winter break, and what they were most looking forward to in the coming year. A simple English assignment. In the middle of the pile, there was one paper that clearly stood out. It was barely legible, and there was no signature. The text was written in squiggly lines with a red pen, pressed so hard into the paper that it had punched several holes. I'll be free, 
the paper said. I got out and she has no idea that there's two of us now. The paper was barely legible. Half-finished sentences describing a sudden awakening. Thoughts of breaking things. Describing people as disposable objects. Hearing a voice in the mirror. My friend gave me a flower and now I'm here. There was a scribbled drawing of a blue sunflower in the corner of the paper. It was the strangest thing that I had ever read. Yes, I'm a teacher, and the kids that I teach are on the edge of turning into teenagers. It's an awkward age, but it is that space in a young person's life where you can really make an impact. If you can make them feel seen and heard, they might gain a confidence that'll follow them for the rest of their lives. I have 21 students in my class, eight boys and 13 girls. The day after I had graded the paper, I didn't know what to think or say. After I took attendance, it dawned on me. Whoever handed in that paper was in the room right now. It threw me off my tempo. I had them do some individual assignments while I found my bearings. It was the usual ruckus, bickering and joking, awkward teenage flirting, loud discussions about whatever was new online. But something felt different, malevolent. It had to be one of the girls. The paper had hinted at it, but which one was it? I handed out an extra assignment. Nothing fancy, I just took the crazy paper out of the bunch and distributed the rest randomly to the students. For tomorrow, they were to write a short essay telling me about what they had read in the other students' essay. Reading comprehension and writing at once. No one would have a problem with that, except the students. As I got back home with some takeout sushi, I looked over the strange paper again. There were some smudges going left to right. No matter if you're right-handed or left-handed, that'll happen. But further down, there were more smudges. It looked like the writer had held the pen like a hook, with the pen facing the writer. It indicated a left-handed writer. I double-checked with a few online articles which said the same thing. But there were no hook-handed writers in my class, I would have noticed. I was sure that there were a few left-handed people though. I finished my sushi and went to bed with a chilling feeling that I was missing something obvious. The next day, I got the assignments. All 21 of them, no extras. I breathed a sigh of relief, figuring that maybe someone had just played a cruel prank on me. We got through the classes of the day without a hitch. We even managed a fairly successful math quiz. All in all, I wasn't complaining. The extra assignment wasn't that important, but I took them home to grade them anyway. Some had put some effort into their work, and I wanted to reward them. No matter the age, everybody loves gold star stickers, and I had plenty on my crafts table. I started going through the papers, only to notice something. There were once again 22 of them. At some point during the day, somebody had snuck an extra paper in there. Going through the papers, I couldn't help but feel that bubbling sense of dread. One of these papers was going to be terrifying. 
it felt like getting slowly pricked by a needle. At first, there's just a pressure, but you know the hurt is coming. It was at the bottom of the pile. Red ink, barely legible. Spots from a hook-handed writer. I know you've caught on, the paper said. I want you to know. I want you to chase. There were little sketches of drops of blood falling into an open mouth. Crude, but clear. Chase me, I chase you. I didn't sleep well that night. I pulled the curtains, I double-checked all of the locks, and I pulled the covers up tight. And I left the light on in the hallway. And yet, I still had that awful sinking feeling that I was missing something. Was it Claire? She had always been a bit of an oddball. Or maybe someone that I would never expect, like Shonda. Maybe Petra, Fiona. I had this mental image of someone following me to my car. A young girl hiding in the back seat. A maniacal smile popping up in the rearview mirror. Sharp little nails and unblinking eyes diving towards me. Cutting my throat open as I'm going 70 miles per hour down the freeway. I didn't sleep well that night. I started imagining shadows passing by in the hall and in the corner of my eye. A few days passed. I started taking notes on the girls in class. I checked what pens they had and which was their main hand. If it was just a matter of someone pranking me, it might be enough just to find a left-handed girl. However, no girl in my class was left-handed and no one owned a red ink pen. I also had a chat with the school counselor. They couldn't betray patient confidentiality, but they could tell me whether they were aware of any problems that might explain this. And they weren't. If anything, they seemed more worried about me. Since this had started, I had seemed a bit on edge. They didn't blame me, but they wanted to make sure that I was taking care of myself. I tried several tricks. I tried monitoring the hand-ins. I tried watermarking the papers. I tried all kinds of tricks, but I got nothing. At the end of the day, I was getting outsmarted. It was as if the paper just appeared out of nowhere sometime during the day. I couldn't pin it on anyone. I tried to forget about it, but every time I graded a paper, I feared that another threat would show up. Sometimes it did and sometimes it didn't. But the times that it did, it just ruined me. That peaceful moment of grading papers and listening to audiobooks had turned into a horrific slideshow. I'll show you. One of the notes said, I'll break a light in your house. That same day, the kitchen light stopped working. It didn't look broken, but how could I possibly tell? One of those days, I was chopping leeks in the kitchen, and I got this awful, sinking feeling in my stomach. Looking out the window, I noticed something. A silhouette just a few feet away. She was short with long black hair. There was something wrong with the shape of her face. Her skin looked gray. For a moment, we just stared at one another. It took me a few seconds to realize that it wasn't just a face. It was a skull. Still clutching my kitchen knife, I stumbled away from the window, 
It had to be a mask. That wasn't a real face. It couldn't be. Suddenly, the lights broke. All of them. The kitchen, the hallway, the bathroom. Even my desktop lamp at my home office. All of them shattered, spreading Syrian hot shards across the floor with a violent bang. My ears rang and I dove for cover. It felt like a gunshot. Looking up, there was no one left outside. No mask, no kid, no nothing. I called the police, but there was little that they could do. There had been a power surge that much the electric company could confirm, but there were no witnesses of an intruder. I showed them the notes and filed a threat report. We had a long talk and they tried their best to calm me down, but at the end of the day I was still alone, and someone was out there. I went through that image in my head a thousand times. I had several girls in my class, but no one that fit what I had seen. Her hair was too long, she was too short, too skinny. I couldn't think of anyone that fit that description. But she had been there, no doubt in my mind. And I had this gnawing feeling that I had seen her before. Over the next couple of days, I couldn't stop seeing her. She would be across the road as I went to work in the morning. I would see her pass by the window in the cafeteria. And one day, as I was driving home, I saw her in the rearview mirror of my car. That gray death's head grinning at me. And I was getting more notes. Not just slipped into the hand in assignments, but also just scattered around my apartment. At one point, I snapped. I had just stepped out of the shower and I had put on a bathrobe and it started to dry my hair when I noticed a message on the bathroom mirror. There written backwards it simply said, Chase me. I screamed as my heart sunk. I broke the bathroom mirror with my hair dryer. What do you want from me? I called out. And what is wrong with you? I barely noticed the glass shards cutting into my feet as I stormed out. I had had enough. I had to do something. I couldn't live like this forever. Kid or not, this had to end. Where are you? I called out as I passed through my bedroom. Where the heck are you? I glimpsed something outside the window. Of course she was around. Always there and always near. Come out. I screamed as I entered the kitchen. Show yourself. The moment that I stepped into the kitchen, it shook. Every drawer, every door, every appliance, everything flung open. As if pulled open by a steady hand. I was so frustrated that I could cry. I just wanted it to end, but I was too scared to move. It felt like anything could happen at any moment. It was like the entire world was listening to me and reacting accordingly. I just stood there, trying to remember to breathe. Please, I whispered, show yourself and stop this. And as if to answer my call, she did. The front door creaked, the hinges rusted and fell apart. A gentle breeze was all it took for the door to break. She was so small, there was no doubt in my mind. She wasn't wearing a mask. She was nothing but bone, 
I backed away like an animal pushed into a corner. I tried to force myself to attack to do something, but as a response, the kitchen shook again. This time it was pandemonium. Cutlery crashed onto the floor. Plates rolled out of the dishwasher and broke apart. Glasses shot across the room like bullets. Even the little door of miscellanea collapsed in on itself, spreading knickknacks and rubber bands all over the room. I've chased you, I screamed. Are we done? Is this it? She raised a thin gray finger. She pointed at something in the corner. A dry, blue sunflower. Something clicked in my head. That sense of missing something. It was still there, but this was the answer. Somehow this was it. What do you mean? What? Just, just talk, don't just. And there it was. The first note. There had been a drawing of a blue sunflower and it said that she had gotten it as a present. This was that flower and I was sure of it. I got out and she has no idea there's two of us now. That's what it had said. That was part of that very first note. She was talking about me. I had written those notes to myself. I had handed in the assignments. That's how I never noticed it. I looked over at my crafts table. My red ink pen was half empty by now, and I had red smudges under my left hand. And then there was her. Of course, I had seen her before, time and time again. I had long black hair as a kid, and I had been skinny and short. You found me, her little voice said. Funny. The images came flooding back. The shadow in the bathroom mirror, a simple hello and a flower offered. I remember taking the hand of an impossible being, reaching across a nightmare space to darken my inner child. This awful, malevolent being living at the core of my soul, something dead and resurrected, trying to make room for madness. But it wasn't just madness. She was real. Doors don't rust by themselves. Glasses don't throw themselves, and I can for the life of me cause an electric surge with my mind. This was a real being with real power, and she had settled in the back of my mind. And now I had chased her and I had found her. Do you want me to leave? She asked. I can. I didn't know what to say. Of course I wanted her gone. I wanted it all to be over. But there was this gnawing feeling that there was more to it. She didn't just scare me and mess with me for the fun of it. Tell me to leave, she insisted. Set me free. That was it, wasn't it? She wasn't free. She came from me and so maybe she was stuck with me. Maybe she couldn't leave. Maybe she couldn't hurt anyone else. Not as long as I'm around. It had said, I'll be free in that first note. That meant she wasn't free as of now. To me, it suddenly made sense. Standing there, I just shook my head. You can't leave, can you? I cackled. You're, you're just as stuck with me as I am with you. 
I could kill you, she laughed. No, you can't, can you? If so, why haven't you? There was no response. You need me to cut you loose to, to get out of there, don't you? That, that I find you and just let go. I took a step forward and saw blood seeping up from the sole of my feet. My hands were rattling like leaves in the wind. I'm not letting go, I screamed. No way. I'll hurt you. I'll do your worst. But there was nothing more. In the blink of an eye, she was gone. But in my mind's eye, I could still see her. Every memory of seeing myself as a kid was tainted. I had memories of seeing myself in the mirror with a skeleton face grin. I remember seeing my reflection in water puddles. I knew that wasn't what I had looked like. But in my head, that was me. We were interchangeable. She was me and I was her. Two beings and I was going to keep her here. I would be a walking jail cell. I know that it sounds absurd but she is real and nothing I can do changes that. I couldn't live with that thing coming out, reaching other people and spreading. I can't work at the school anymore. She scares the children. And I'm afraid of seeing other people. She hurts them whenever she gets the chance. I've seen birds fall out of the sky. A family of moles lying dead at my doorstep. Circles of roadkill lined up around my car. I've been thrown, cut, burned, and beaten. But I haven't succumbed. She is just as scared of me as I am of her. I had to write this down. If you're reading this, something has happened. Maybe an accident, maybe I've grown sick. I've set this up for it to be posted as my postmortem, as my explanation for my eccentric behavior. It's on a seven day timer, so if I haven't confirmed my status by that time, it's safe to say that I'm not around anymore. And if I died, I pray to God that I took her with me. I don't want to think about what that thing could do if set free. Unbound. Automatic posting scheduled. Zero GMT provided by Open Cove. This week's episode is sponsored by Ghost Bed. Can't get to sleep. Maybe it's nightmares or maybe it's just an uncomfortable mattress. With Ghostbed, you can finally get the scary good sleep that you deserve. For more than two decades, Ghostbed has been making mattresses, pillows, and other sleep products designed for maximum comfort and support. Tired of waking up in a cold sweat? Every Ghostbed mattress features signature cooling materials, including their patented Ghost Ice technology, so you can fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Get fast and free shipping with most orders shipping within 24 hours. Plus, you get a 101 night sleep trial, with free returns if you're not 100% comfortable on your new mattress. With the holidays around, Ghostbed is offering a great deal. Our listeners can get 30% off Ghostbed mattresses plus two free luxury pillows, and get their cooling weighted blanket for free when you spend $1,500 or more. Use promo code MrCreeps at ghostbed.com slash creepscast to take advantage of the offer.
That's www.ghostbed.com slash creepscast with promo code Mr. Creeps. I was in a coma for five weeks. Something followed me from it. Written by Saturdad. Last year, I was in an accident. There was a traffic jam and I was stuck for 20 minutes. And I decided it was a good time to bring out my iPad. So I took off my seatbelt and leaned into the back seat to get it from my gym bag. Seconds later, a car rear-ended me at 65 miles per hour. I smashed my head into the dashboard so hard that it was like turning off a light. It took 13 hours of surgery, 5 weeks in a coma and 8 months of physical therapy to get me back on my feet. On paper, that's the end of the story, but there is more to tell. I brought something back from the coma. It is so hard to describe my experience. You completely lose track of time, so a passing thought can take an instant or an afternoon. There is no way to tell. You can be completely aware of everything that happens around you, and yet you can't recall anything that anyone has said. You can become hyper-focused on a smell in a particular part of the room, but don't feel this single thing when somebody gives you a shot or you stretch your legs. It is like floating in an empty black room, with twinkling stars of cohesive thought floating just out of reach. I could have been alone for mere minutes or weeks before I finally met him. There is no way to tell. But there was someone there to keep me company. There in the void. I first heard him as a distant voice calling out to me. There was something inside me telling me to keep my mouth shut. But I just couldn't. I was scared and alone. I answered the call. The first time that I saw him in my mind's eye, he was tall, probably about a head taller than me. He was thin, hairless, and completely nude. He seemed tired, and we could barely understand each other as if we spoke different languages. But still, he stayed with me, occupying my thoughts. After a while, we started to sound alike. We started having conversations. We started making jokes telling stories and getting to know each other. Again, it could have been minutes and it could have been weeks, and I don't remember anything about it. There was just the sensation of having him there, of having company and the nothingness. Still, a few of his words stood out. I'm nobody, he said once. In so many ways, I'm nobody, and sometimes you are too. So that's what I called him, the nobody. As time passed, I realized that I had made a mistake. As my body struggled to wake up, the nobody tried his best to keep me around for just a little longer. He wanted a friend and a companion in the dark. Someone to get to know and share his experiences with. I don't remember what he told me, but I remember how it made me feel. It made me feel dread and existential terror, like there was something that I desperately wanted to forget, something I wish I didn't know. Luckily, I don't remember it, thank God, 
but then nobody wanted me to know. He kept telling me these awful things as if to make me sympathetic to his state of being. He wanted me to give up and just stay there with him, but I wouldn't budge. I was determined to wake up and put this entire thing behind me for however many years I had left to live. He got frustrated and with every frustration he changed his form. His fingers would grow longer, his arms thinner. His head would grow pale and elongated, his mouth rounder like a leech. On the good days he would look like himself, on the bad days I had to hide listening to him trying to sense my thoughts in the dark. But the day came when I could finally feel my body again. The stars in that empty void were turning into suns, and blotches of thought were connecting. A finger connected to a hand, connected to an arm, eyes twisting and turning and trying to blink. In the final moments of my coma, I struggled so hard that my entire being was screaming the effort into the void. I would either wake up or stay there forever, all or nothing. At first, I was failing, falling deeper into the void and then a surge. Then nobody lifted me up and carried me into the light of thought. I woke up. Those five weeks just seemed like a murky memory, an afterthought. Something that I've left behind but not quite forgotten. I still have certain memories left as clear as day, but none of them as vivid as that of the nobody. If I had artistic talent, I could paint him from memory. I could spot him in a crowd of a hundred people. I could have heard a single word in a crowded room, and I would recognize his voice. To me, he was at the front of my memory. He still is. During my physical therapy, I brought it up with my nurse. She didn't laugh at me, but didn't take it very seriously either. People have all kinds of experiences, she argued. Some come back speaking different languages or thinking that there's someone else. To you, it was all real, but here in the real world, it is not. You are you and there is no one else. Try to find comfort in that. Of course, I tried, but I couldn't. It started with sleepwalking. Not much and not far, but enough to make me worried. I live alone, and waking up standing in the middle of a cold shower is not something that I would ever recommend. Or waking up with your mouth full of olives, choking on a kernel. I just figured it was a result of my brain damage. I told my doctor about it, but they didn't pay too much attention. They were more worried about signs of fatigue and dizziness. But still, my memory of the nobody was so vivid, I could imagine myself seeing him. I often got the feeling that he was right behind me. If I just turned around quick enough, I would enter a dark room knowing that he was there, making me afraid to turn on the lights. I would stare at an empty space knowing that he would appear if I wasn't vigilant enough. I expected him at every turn and at every corner. He was real, but I also knew that there was no way that he could be. And then there was an incident. It wasn't bad, but it looked bad. I was at a coffee shop ordering a latte and a bun when I suddenly fainted. Bang, lights out. 
I don't have any memory of what happened, but uh, people in the coffee shop had freaked out. The ambulance came and two people were propping my head up with their jackets. They checked my pulse and breathing and I was fine. I was just, you know, lights out. The tests were inconclusive. Sure, there were some inconsistencies, but none of them were out of the ordinary. I had been in a coma for weeks and only just recently started my physical therapy. There were sure to be readings that were out of the ordinary. So I got back home with a fairly decent bill of health. There was only one thing that bothered me. They had gotten my height wrong. I'm a solid 5'9", but according to the tests, I was at least 6'1". And I had also lost no less than 12 pounds since my last checkup. At first, I thought that it was in my head. My fingers were starting to look longer. I was losing a bit of my complexion. I made excuses for all of it. Oh, I never go outside, I would say. It's just the weight loss making me look taller. But it wasn't that simple. And the next few nights proved that. The sleepwalking got worse. The final straw was waking up in front of the bathroom mirror with the words, Nobody loves you, written in blood. I had shaved my head and brushed my teeth so violently that my mouth had tasted of raw flesh. I wasn't even pale anymore. I was pallid. Of course, the nobody loves me. I was his only friend in that place between worlds. That hollow, dark place. Over the up-and-coming weeks, the changes would become more obvious. I had grown another two inches and lose another 20 pounds. My hair didn't grow back and I lost hair in other places as well. I was having trouble with my teeth and I was getting these violent coughs. My rib cage was aching from the coughing and I had got a prescription for asthma medication. It didn't help. I barely recognized myself in the mirror anymore. I started to look like him. Sometimes I would hear him just as I fell asleep. That bump in the night had a voice, thanking me for bringing him along. And the next breath, he would praise himself for saving me. Nobody helped you, the voice would say. Nobody got you here. Six months into my physical therapy, I was barely recognizable. A thin membrane had grown in my throat, effectively separating my voice into two pipes. One light, one dark, which spoke simultaneously. The doctor had a fancy word for it and we tried to schedule surgery for it, but my insurance wouldn't cover it. It was the kind of condition one does not simply get, but something that you just have. Hence, I couldn't have gotten it as a result of the accident. It had to be pre-existing, even though it wasn't. They had said the same about my fingers. Fingers don't just grow. I could literally show the growth measure from day to day, but it didn't matter. My canines also grew longer. They had poked a hole in my bottom lip at night. Not that I had sleep much anyway. I was always tired. I would dread going to sleep. So, I started relying on sleeping pills. At best, I would have a dreamless night that lasted four hours or less. 
and at worst, I would be twisting and turning in a cold sweat for like 14 hours straight. Night and day flow together when you live that kind of life. And sometimes, he would come to visit me. The nobody. I would feel his presence lying there right next to me. Sometimes thanking me. Sometimes appraising himself. Except now, we had the same voice. That same double-piped voice. Making us sound like two people speaking at once. In a gruesome vibrato. Twins. One night, as I brushed my teeth, I saw him in the mirror. I could feel my face twisting and turning at his whim. We were having a conversation, wide awake through my body. He is smiling at me through a face that I barely recognized as my own. I'll stop, he made me say. I want you to be comfortable. Leave me alone, I would say in a different tone. Just leave me. No, I laughed. We're out, we're free. Just listen to me and it'll all be fine. It was the second time that I should have ignored him. The second time that he had called out to me. But I was too tired. I listened. At first, his demand seemed reasonable. He had different dietary restrictions, different things that he liked. As long as I kept him happy, he allowed me to sleep, and my changes didn't progress. My canines even shrunk a little bit. It was small things like drinking milk instead of water, eating ham instead of cheese going to bed at the break of dawn instead of sunset. Little things. But they added up fast. Soon, he didn't even have to ask me to do it. I would just do it. And then it got worse. He would want me to take long midnight walks, to stay inside during the day, to turn off the lights and put bed covers over the windows to eat a raw chicken breast, to eat charcoal, to eat cockroaches, flies, and worms, to sleep in an ice-filled tub curled up into a ball. And step by step, I did it all. I barely even noticed the changes. I was growing isolated from friends and family. They barely recognized me. I had grown a third windpipe and there had been bones poking out from the side of my ribcage. My yawns would reveal the mouth twice the size of what I used to have. I tried going back to the doctor, but I heard the nobody scream in the back of my head. I had just gotten off the bus when I stopped. I'll bite your tongue off, I'll chew it and swallow it. You'll taste your own stomach acid if you don't turn back home. I listened. I tried not to, but I did. I'm writing this because I don't know where this will end. My physical therapy came to an abrupt end. I can't go back to work. I can't go to my family. He doesn't allow it. Instead, he's giving me strange instructions. Addresses that I've never been to. Names of people that I've never met. 
He's having me read articles about distant places, about events that happened to other people. Not even big news or anything, just very specific things. An apartment fire in Minnesota, for example. Who cares? And that's the weirdest thing. I care. I really honestly care. I'm excited to do these things to adapt. I feel stronger and more connected to myself with every submission. I like the taste of the things that I eat. I sleep better in the places that he makes me stay. And yet I know that isn't me. Not the real me. This right here, this is the real me. These words might be the last part of what it means to actually be me. I don't want to lose myself completely, but I know better than to put myself against an inevitable conclusion. The nobody whispered truce about what we are and what we mean for weeks. He told me the way things really are and what it means to be human. And honestly, I'm not a fan anymore. The phone call from my daughter led to the most terrifying experience of my entire life. Written by Zacharias Frost It's always been one of my biggest fears as a parent to get a sudden phone call from my kid in the middle of the night. The type that causes you to lurch awake in a panic when you see their name illuminate on the phone screen. And last week, I experienced that for the first time. It was by far one of the most horrifying nights of my life. It's obviously no secret that kids like to party in high school. I did plenty of it myself, and I'm sure that I gave my parents a lot of sleepless nights when I was growing up. And now I guess that it's my kid's turn to return the favor. My son just started his junior year of high school and there have been a few incidents in regards to him being at parties. Coming home drunk or stoned after getting a few tickets from the police. He's a good kid though, and has thankfully never been in serious trouble, and hopefully things will remain that way. I've been stern with him, but I also understand that this is pretty normal behavior for teenagers. My daughter is a freshman in high school this year and up until now has remained relatively clean in terms of the usual high schooler antics. My wife and I of course don't condone underage drinking or partying, but we know that it's likely going to happen regardless of what we say. We both agreed long ago that we would always do our best to educate our kids on the dangers and try our best to influence them away from that lifestyle. I've had numerous talks with both my son and daughter about this, and I made sure to reiterate that I don't want them partying, but I'm not able to control their entire lives either. My request that I have repeated ad nauseum to them is that if they are ever in danger or in an unsure situation to please call me, I don't care what time it is or where they are, I will go pick them up, no questions asked and no grudges held. Better that than them getting into the car with some underage drunk driver or something because we've all heard the horror stories of people's lives being forever changed by one stupid decision. My son has never once taken me up on that offer, and I hope that means he's being responsible. Until last week, my daughter hadn't either, but I'm glad she did. 
though it ended up being one of the most terrifying nights of our lives. My phone began to blare loudly on my side table, stirring me from a deep sleep. With a stark sudden nervousness, I leaned over and silenced the annoying tone, glimpsing with the pirate-eyed stare at my bright phone. The name Amelia illuminated brightly on my screen, and immediately my heart sang. It was at just past 2am, and everybody knows that nothing good ever happens that late at night. Hello? Dad, hey, I'm sorry to call so late. No, no, it's fine, honey. What's up? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Um, we were driving home and my friend's car broke down. Is there any way that you could come pick us up? My heart breathed a small sigh of relief and I tried to gather my mind. I told her that I would of course come and get her. And over the next few minutes, she described her location as I got myself dressed. She was a good half an hour drive away and basically just on the other side of a rural stretch of road. She didn't mention what exactly they were doing out there, and in the moment it didn't cross my mind to ask. I pulled my truck out of the complex maybe 10 minutes later and texted Amelia that I was on my way. Thankfully the roads were clear at 2am and I was well on my way to her in no time, making much better time the drive would have normally taken me. Only then did I start to realize that they probably could have just called a roadside assistance and requested surveys. It would have saved me a long drive on a work night. But after all, I had always told Amelia to call me if she needed help and I'm glad she did. After entering the highway, I felt my phone begin to buzz in my pocket. I pulled it out and once again saw an incoming call from Amelia. Dad, are you almost here? She spoke suddenly as I answered, a distinct nervousness obvious in her voice. Yeah, about ten minutes out, is everything okay? She paused on the other end of the line. I heard one of her friends say something in the background, but I couldn't decipher what it was. Dad, there's somebody out here. There he is, down by that post. Another girl spoke from the other end. Oh, what do you mean? Is somebody threatening you? I heard them whisper on the other end of the line as I feverishly anticipated a response. Dad, something's wrong. The line then abruptly cut out. I glanced on my phone to see that the call had failed. After trying and failing several times to call her back, I eventually gave up due to lack of service. My heart was throbbing in my chest and an increased desperation caused me to stomp down harder on the gas pedal. A few minutes later and my phone began to buzz in the center console once again. And once again, it was Amelia. Hello, Amelia, are you there? Dad, something's wrong. I'm almost there, Amelia, hold on. Are you safe? What's going on? There was no response from the other end of the line. Sometimes when I have bad reception, people can call me and speak, but they can't hear me respond. I figured that's what was happening until she spoke again. Dad, something's wrong. I felt a wave of chills roll down my spine as I heard it. Something about the situation really had me unnerved then. The way Amelia spoke, it was like the same every single time. Almost like it was a recording. 
The area that she had told me they were located was about 15 minutes away from the nearest town on the way to a patch of wilderness. A lot of people go there for camping and whatnot, but the roads were near empty that night. Endless rows of trees aligned either side of the road and a cold sweat dampened my brow as I stomped on the gas pedal. Finally, as I rounded a bend in the road a few minutes later, I spotted something up ahead. A lone Subaru outback on the opposing side of the road. As I got near, I squinted to see better but saw no one inside. I was fairly certain that was one of Amelia's friend's cars, and since I hadn't seen any others, I figured it had to be them. I pulled my truck up behind it and my headlights beamed through the back window, but I saw no one inside of it. Amelia! I called out from my window but got no response. I killed my engine then, and grabbing my Glock 19 from under the seat and stashing it in the back of my pants. The chilly air gnawed against my skin as I stepped out into the road. An eerie silence subsumed me as I glanced around the environment. The back left tire of the Outback was completely flat, and I figured that was why Amelia had called. I hoped that that was all it was, but the fact that she wasn't there distressed me greatly. Amelia, I called out, hearing my own voice slash through the dense, silent night. I checked my phone again but found that it was displaying me a searching message in place of the bars. The inside of the car was empty when I looked through it, and I shuddered to imagine what could have possibly possessed them to leave the car. None of the possible answers I concluded were good enough. I called out to her a few more times as I searched around the area but never got a response. On the side of the road I noticed something laying in the wild grass. As I got closer, I realized it was a purse with a bunch of items spilled out of it. I didn't think it was one of Amelia's but it was obviously not a good sign. Amelia! I screamed the name at the top of my lungs, but again, there was no response. Something was very wrong about the situation. It felt like I was being watched, but that could have just been my growing apprehension. The discarded purse clearly indicated that whoever it belonged to probably went out into the woods. I knew what I had to do, but the fear that overcame me when I considered going into those woods was among the strongest that I've ever felt. Every self-preservation in me was screaming for me to not go into those woods, but my little girl was out there, and fleeing was not an option. I made my way to the tree line and I entered the woods. The only light that I had on me was my phone's flashlight, and it wasn't much. It was at least better than making calls though, and surely better than nothing. Each step that I took seemed to crash like thunder when contrasted with the eerily silent night. Each dried leaf like a glass vase shattering on impact, and I did my best to move as quietly and as efficiently as possible. The Glock remained in my right hand at all times, and my head on a shivering swivel as I persevered onward. In the distance, I started to hear the sounds of trickling water. There was nothing really indicative of anyone having been in there, so I decided to just go towards it. 
I thought that maybe one of them was bleeding and went to the water to wash off a cutter or something even though that would be a terrible idea. By that point I was just internally scrambling for answers or any sort of clues that I could find. A minute later I stumbled into a small clearing and found the brook that I had heard earlier. The small stream extended in a wavering path, both directions with thick foliage covering much of the bank. On the other side was a small incline which led deeper into the woods, but once again, there were no immediate signs that anybody had been out here. I really started to panic then, but calling out seemed like a worse idea every time that I did it. But at the same time, I had to do something. My mind just wouldn't stop racing about some lunatic serial killer or a human trafficker. Every father is a worse nightmare. After a few moments, I finally decided to turn around and head back towards the road. As I veered back, I stepped by the bank and was able to see around the small bend in the creek. On the other side of an angle tree, I saw something that made me nearly jump out of my skin. Someone was crouching there on the edge of the stream. It was a young woman with dark hair dressed in a hoodie and blue jeans. As I lifted the light towards her, I realized that I recognized her. Natasha, Natasha, hey, can you hear me? Are you alright? She didn't react at all as I made my way over to her. She was crouched there in a sitting fetal position, staring up the incline on the opposing side of the stream. Natasha, hey, it's Amelia's dad. Are you okay? Where's Amelia? Natasha again didn't react in any way. As I finally shined the light on her face, I just saw her staring emotionless. She didn't even look at me. Her eyes were like saucers, dilated so heavily that no color was visible. Considering that it was night, that wasn't entirely strange on its own. But what was strange is that I noticed her pupils didn't shrink at all when I shined the light on her. Natasha, I put my hand on her shoulder, but again, I got no reaction. I could tell that she was breathing, but clearly she wasn't all there. She seemed entirely catatonic, like she was trapped in some sort of hypnotic state. I shook her by the shoulder, called her name, and even flicked water on her from the stream, but... She didn't react in any way whatsoever. It was really unnerving, but selfishly, I was still more worried about Amelia. I thought about just letting her wait there to return for her, as she obviously wasn't going to anywhere anytime soon. But the sordid idea occurred that it may be too late for Amelia. The thought alone nearly crippled me from the horrific contemplation, but I knew that I could at least get one girl out. I wrapped my arms around Natasha and I lifted her off the ground. Her arms were wrapped around her legs and she maintained that as I lifted her into my arms. Her skin was cold to the touch and with her locked position, it almost gave the impression that she was frozen stiff. And thankfully, Natasha is rather small so I was able to carry her back towards the road with a little issue. A minute or two later, I got back to my truck and placed Natasha in the back seat. Her utterly silent demeanor and complete lack of reaction, it had really started to worry me. Just to be sure, I felt her pulse on her neck, 
and as I anticipated it was there, feeling pretty much normal. After loading her in the truck, I locked it and I resumed my search for Amelia. It was then that I noticed that the back left tire in the outback was not only flat, but absolutely shredded. It looked like it had been flat, but they had continued driving on it for several miles. The tread was torn open, revealing the silver rim underneath. As I was inspecting it, I suddenly thought that I saw something underneath the car. As I leaned down, I once again got a huge jump scare. Amelia, Amelia, are you okay? There she was, lying prone underneath the car. Like Natasha, she was unresponsive and no matter how many questions I asked her, I could see her back moving rhythmically up and down so I knew that she was breathing. Her eyes were pinned open wide and like Natasha, her pupils were like saucers. I had to basically drag her out from underneath the car, all the while she didn't react in any way whatsoever. She too just appeared in this dazed state, like she was thankfully still alive but not fully conscious. I'd never seen anything like that with her or anyone else before. As soon as she was out from under the car, she suddenly lurched and wrapped herself into the fetal position. It startled me greatly and I thought it meant that she was back to normal. But after questioning her again, I still got no reaction. Thankfully, that made it much easier to carry her, and I got her loaded into the truck as well. Natasha still sat there as she had before, and the sight of the both curled up and unresponsive like that, it really chilled my veins. As I rounded the back of my truck, I then came upon an incredibly worrying discovery. The back left tire of my truck was suddenly flat as well. A few dozen curse words slipped liberally from my lips as I debated my options. Unfortunately, the jack was underneath the back seat, where Amelia and Natasha were. I spun back, eyeing the opposite side of the road, and the foreboding and unwavering tree line. Someone was messing with me, and I prayed that's all that they were doing. Considering the state of both Amelia and Natasha, however, it didn't seem very likely. As I began retrieving the jack and lowering the tool rom underneath the seat, something suddenly caused me to freeze dead in my tracks. I don't know how to explain it, but every single hair on the back of my neck stood up at once, and a wave of chills rolled down my spine. My knees shook and my heart thundered in my chest. It was like some forlorn sixth sense buried deep within me suddenly sensed a danger. But danger isn't even a strong enough word for it. It was this utterly hopeless, paralyzing sense of impending doom with corporeal manifestations. Like some ominous presence was enough to rattle me to my very core. It was so unfathomably consuming that even the fight or flight response ceased being an option. I was just entirely stricken by terror, like some primal instinct deep within me had suddenly reawakened and set off all the alarm bells at once. I had been anxious the whole time that I had been there considering the circumstance, but it was nothing compared to that horrendous sense of crippling fear. I glanced frantically around the vicinity, but nothing appeared immediately wrong, nothing that I could see that is. 
I really wish that I had the words to properly convey the feeling, but at the same time I don't, because I truly hope that no one ever has to experience that feeling. Dad. Amelia's voice suddenly called out, but it wasn't Amelia who had spoken it. It came from the opposing side of the road. My heart sunk like a lead weight in my chest as I spun back to face the arboreal blockade. I saw nothing. I heard nothing aside from that familiar voice and uncanny tone. Dad, something's wrong. I didn't think that my heart could sink any lower. But as those words pierced the obsidian night, I was proven wrong yet again. It was Amelia's voice again. And it was spoken the exact same way that I had last heard it on the phone. Dad, something's wrong. Dad, something's wrong. Dad, something's wrong. The voice seemed to distort the more that it repeated. My legs finally resumed to function beneath me and I had seen enough. I just got back into the truck and with my hands trembling so bad, I struggled to hit the push start. Finally, I did and the truck fired back to life. Outside, I heard the voice repeating, but it seemed to change the location every time that it did. The first few were off the left of us on the opposing side of the road, but then it came from behind me and then up ahead, with only a few seconds interval between each repetition. Branches then snapped over to my left, and something emerged from the woods. Suddenly, I felt woozy lightheaded and like I was about to pass out. My vision swam around me and it suddenly felt like I had just shotgunned a handle of Jack Daniels. It wasn't like the feeling of being drunk though. It was something far more terrifying than that. Like my very sentience was being drained from my body. The thing emerged fully from the woods, looming like a shadow on the peripheries of my mind. I can't even begin to describe it. Not only because of my extremely blurred state of mind, but because it just felt so wrong to do so. The more I stared at it and acknowledged its existence, the worse that it got. It's like my feeble human mind wasn't fully capable of comprehending the things that my eyes were beholding. I saw other things in the woods, or at least I think I did. So much of this feels like a dream now it's crazy to even transcribe it. It's like I don't know whether I can even trust my own account on the events anymore. Something was out there though, something truly horrible. And I can feel the claws of utter madness scraping against the last frayed remains in my mind. Its mere presence alone was threatening to tear me from reality and send me spiraling into a dazed delirium, the likes of which I would never recover from. Somehow I managed to move the shifter into drive and with no regard for the flat tire, I slammed my foot down onto the gas pedal. It felt like driving with a fishbowl on my head while being upside down. My reactions and muscle memory were just disoriented beyond belief. I have no doubt that I was swerving all over the road, worse than Lindsay Lohan after a birthday party. But thankfully, there was no one else around. The tire flapped relentlessly, creating an irritating cacophony and causing my truck to handle terribly, which of course only added to the aforementioned difficulties. But by some miracle of fate, I managed to keep the truck on the road for a long enough time. 
The delirious sensation seemed to lessen the further away that I got. After several minutes of driving, I felt mostly back to my normal state of mind. The sigh of relief I breathed then was probably the largest and most cathartic of my life. A few minutes later and I pulled my shrieking truck into the hospital parking lot. By that point the tire was almost entirely disintegrated off the rim and I proudly ruined my differential but none of that mattered to me. I ran inside the hospital and got some of the staff at the front counter, telling them that I had two girls with me that needed help. The staff followed me out and I picked up the still unresponsive Amelia from the back seat. The security guard picked up Natasha and we carried them back inside. The nurses asked me what had happened as we got them into hospital beds, but I didn't even know what to tell them. I ended up just saying most of what actually happened and that I had found them in the woods. The staff eyed me warily and I could tell that they didn't trust me and I don't blame them either as I did show up with two underage girls in the middle of the night and under very strange circumstances. I doubt that they had ever seen anyone in conditions like that. The girls very much appeared like they had been drugged, and although I told them that I was Amelia's father, I don't blame them for being suspicious of me. Even as the police showed up and began questioning me, I forced myself to remain calm for the sake of Amelia. They asked me what had happened, and I told them pretty much everything that I've written here today, but in the most rational means that I could explain. I told them that I thought someone had abducted them and drugged them, but I didn't see who it was. No way they would ever believe the more worrying details of the experience, though. The cops kept me there in the lobby, not arresting me but not allowing me to go and be with Amelia either. Eventually, I called my wife and she arrived at the hospital a little while later. I then had to explain everything a third time to her, and she was able to substantiate my claims. The cops eventually radioed into their dispatch and requested officers to go and investigate the scene where I had found Amelia and Natasha. My wife knew that something was up with me. She knew that I was rattled by the experience. She tried getting me to tell her more when we were alone, but I told her that I would tell her everything later. One of the nurses came out a little while later and informed us that both girls had been sedated and they were now sleeping peacefully. I asked if they had found anything wrong with them, but they said everything was normal as far as they could tell. My wife went back to see them, but the cops didn't want me going considering their suspicions. It was annoying, but I'm trying my best to be charitable to their point of view here. I would much rather cops that took young girls being brought in under mysterious circumstances seriously, even if it meant suspecting me. That's a far better option than them shrugging it off and not much caring about it. I was exhausted by then, and I ended up falling asleep on the lobby's couch not long after. I had some pretty severe nightmares then but I can't consciously remember the details of them now. My wife shook me awake some time later, as I opened my eyes and saw the sun had risen, and the lobby had many other people coming and going. Finally, I was permitted to go and see Amelia, 
and thankfully she seemed fully conscious and back to her normal self. The same was true for Natasha, whose parents had also showed up to see her. Thankfully, both girls were cleared to return home a few hours later with a full bill of health. In the following days, more details would be added about the case, but unfortunately, most of them have just made all of this more difficult to understand. Amelia and Natasha both tested negative for common drugs like roofies used to incapacitate victims. They drug tested me as well, but as expected, it also came back negative. There's always the possibility that they, and even possibly, I was drugged with a more exotic substance that is not normally tested for. But up until now, there's no real evidence of that. On the following morning, the cops went and checked out the area where I found the girls. Natasha's car was still there in virtually the same state that I had found it in. They searched the surrounding woods, but they weren't able to find much of relevance. As of now, I've been cleared of any wrongdoing in the case, but that doesn't mean things have been resolved. The cops questioned me extensively about the night, and I tried to help them in every way that I could. I even told them that I thought I had seen somebody approaching my truck as I fled, but stopped short of implying anything beyond that. If you've read all of this, then you may be of the same assumption that I am, and came to a similar but far more unbelievable conclusion. There was something unnatural about that night, and although I hesitate to use the word paranormal, I'm really struggling to find a better word for it. Amelia has no memory of what happened to her. She said the last thing she remembers was Natasha pulling the car over after they got a flat tire. She doesn't remember crawling under the car, or me carrying her to the truck. Next thing she said she actively remembers was waking up in the hospital, and Natasha's account was pretty much the same. I've had some horrific nightmares these last couple of days. Nothing in particular that I can recall, just distorted visions of horrific creatures, and people along with violence and suffering that causes me to lurch awake in a cold sweat. Amelia's had them too, and I suspect, though I'm not certain that, Natasha has had the same. I'll be honest, some of the things that Amelia has told me lately really has me worried. She's said that she's seen things that she knows aren't there and heard voices she knows don't exist. Based on the things she's mentioned, I'm starting to get worried that she may be schizophrenic. She's never had these issues before that night, and I really hope it isn't the case. I don't have a good explanation for what happened that night, and all the research I've done hasn't helped out much. As of now, I'm hoping that I can just write this event off and move on with my life. But I have a horrible feeling that it won't be so easy. If anyone has any theories about what the heck happened that night, please share them. I'm open to any and all potential explanations. One thing I do know is that whatever it was I saw that night is still out there. And that thought terrifies me more than anything else. I'm a big city cop on the trail of a monster. Written by Doomed Geek. Sleep for me is a deep, dark pit from which I emerge, coated in sweat and gasping for breath. 
Sometimes I'd cry out as I wake and lash out with my fists at the fragments of my dreams. It will be far too early to be awake, but I know that there's no way that I'll go back to sleep. And I lie there staring at the ceiling, and I think of how it all went wrong. Now I was a hard-working and honest cop, a detective with the major investigation unit. We were tasked with dealing with the worst crimes that plagued London. It was intense and at times it could be incredibly frustrating, but I was good at my job and it was going well for me. My career prospects were looking bright. Sadly, the same could not be said of my private life. I was married but my wife had moved out and filed for divorce. She said that I was never there for her, that I was distant, obsessed. Thinking about her, about what she might be doing, about who she might be with instead of me, it hurt. It made me feel physically sick. Because I was still in love with her and I knew that I had lost her. This made me throw myself deeper into my work. I stayed at the station even later than before she left, delaying going back to the empty flat that reminded me of her, of all that could have been. It was close to midnight when the alert came in about a suspicious death in Canary Wharf. It was late January and rain struck the window in front of me as I got to my feet. I had been staring at a screen for hours and I felt drained. That wasn't going to change now that I had a fresh case. I was in the type of police officer who got an adrenaline rush on the way to investigate a new potentially extreme crime. I knew some fellow cops who did, men and women. I tried to keep my distance from them. I rubbed a crick in my neck and I headed for the elevator. Fifteen minutes later, I had signed out of a pool car and was driving through the city center maze of high-rises and centuries-old buildings. The area, which had become the capital's financial district in the last few decades, had once been a bustling dock, a fitted place where cutthroats waited in the back streets and opium was cheap. Now towers rose around carefully designed squares and, if there were any dark places, they lingered in the hearts of men. According to the developing reports that had come in over the radio, the victim had been found in a penthouse apartment by his fiancée, who had been away on business in New York. She had let herself in and had been confronted by a hideous sight. I parked up at the entrance to the apartment block. A queasy-looking concierge was in conversation with a uniformed officer. I climbed out and winced as a spasm of pain ran up my back. It was stress as much as a sedentary lifestyle that was making me feel like this. I was 35 years old but sometimes felt more like an 80-year-old man on a very bad day. I promised myself that I would start going to the gym, and then I showed my ID to the officer and headed inside. The lobby was classy, all wood panels and dark glass, and it was bigger than my apartment and much nicer, and it smelt a whole lot better as well. The elevator purred all the way down to the top floor where I stepped out onto a carpeted hallway. A little way down, a door stood open, and I could hear the murmur of activity taking place inside. The apartment was open plan, over two levels with stunning views over the river. There is a man in a plush armchair facing the Thames which flowed serenely in the darkness below. 
He wasn't enjoying the view. He wasn't enjoying anything. His throat had been cut from ear to ear and his collarless linen shirt and slacks were stained with dried blood. One of my junior colleagues came over and started giving me the details. Our victim was 25, worked in corporate finance and overseas markets and was well liked. His fiance, who was in one of the apartment's four bathrooms still vomiting, loved him very much and had been looking forward to their wedding that summer in Florence. He had everything. My colleague added, money, love, and lux. I looked again at the man's face. I had read somewhere once that the faces considered most beautiful are symmetrical and perfect balance. I didn't have any kind of eye for that kind of thing, but I did agree that he was handsome. Could even maybe have been a classic movie star in a different life. But his future now was the body bag which was being rolled out at his feet into date with a pathologist. I double checked with my colleague about our other basic details but there were no signs of forced entry or a struggle. There had though been a long blonde hair found on the pillow of his bed. And his fiance is a redhead. My colleague commented. So maybe he was cheating on her and whoever he was with did this. I nodded. It's a possibility, but let's keep an open mind and let the facts keep leading us. I wrote up my initial report, emailed it to the head of the major investigation unit, and then left the crime scene at 5am. Dawn was still hours away, and the rain had been replaced by a cold wind. I shivered and hurried back inside the car, turned the heater to full, and closed my eyes just for a moment. What felt like seconds later, somebody was tapping on the window. My eyes shot open and there was a traffic warden looking at me. You can't park here, he said. I've issued you a ticket. Have a nice day. He smiled and walked away. I stared at the paper wrapped inside a plastic bag tucked under one of my windshield wipers and I swore. I couldn't believe that I had fallen asleep like that. It was 9am. Rain clouds rolled across to gray sky. Officially, my next shift did not start until midday but I was keen to see what progress there had been on the case. I drove past a number of gyms on my way back to the station. I stopped at one and I paid for a guest pass because their showers were way better than the ones at the police station. I didn't have any clean clothes to change into, but I still felt a lot better when I had arrived back at my desk. The case had progressed. Information had been collected and CCTV footage had been checked. A young blonde woman had been seen entering the building the morning before the murder. She was by any standards stunningly attractive and gilded through the lobby as if she owned the place. There were no more sightings of her but there was footage of someone shady looking leaving around 8pm. They were wrapped up in a baggy hooded sweatshirt and joggers and no features could be made out. Maybe it was her, maybe not. I logged onto my workstation. I was confident that a breakthrough was on the way. Two nights later, the investigation had stalled. There were no leads on the identity of the blonde woman and no other persons of interest. A friend of the victim claimed to have seen him in a five-star restaurant in the West End on the night that his body was found around 11pm, which was not possible as the man was already dead by then. This friend was later arrested for being in possession of Class A drugs, 
so their statement was discounted as they were clearly an unreliable witness. It felt like they were staring at a brick wall. The midnight hour had been and gone, but I was still around. The station was quiet. The senior officer in charge of the investigation had told everybody to go home and make a fresh start in the morning. I still couldn't face my apartment. I leaned back in my seat, my eyelids growing heavy. When an alert appeared on my computer, a suspicious death. In Knightsbridge, a wealthy, exclusive district. Not a good week to be rich. I thought with a wary smile then dragged myself to my feet. The scene this time was a townhouse. It dated back to Georgian times but had been renovated multiple times. The basement housed a sauna and a swimming pool. The once crystal clear blue water was now streaked with blood and a woman lay floating in the middle of the pool. Her throat had been cut. She had been beautiful once with her life stretching out ahead of her and the way that she had been killed and her good looks and obvious wealth brought a very unwelcome thought to the front of my mind. Apart from the gender of the victim, it's the same M.O. The next morning, in a crowded briefing room, the head of the unit addressed all the officers working on the original and now this new case. There is the possibility that we are dealing with a potential serial killer here, and we are going to play this investigation very close to our chests. The families of both victims are high profile and influential and they do not want these tragedies splashed all over the tabloids. Is that understood? He looked slowly around the room. Passing on information to a journalist was an easy way to make money, but as he met the eyes of everyone there it was clear there would be a world of pain for anyone who leaked info. Good, he said. Now the two victims moved in the same social circles. They were not friends, but it is probable that their paths had crossed. I'm going to assign a team to make contact with known associates of both victims, who share their characteristics. Young, good-looking, and rich, but still alive. And let's keep it that way, too. And I want all contacts to be made in person in as low-key a way as possible. There's no point keeping this out of the gutter press if a single person tweets about it. And that was the briefing over. It was time to hit the streets. As I drove to the home address of the first name on my list, the world around me seemed distant. The office blocks and the shops, all brightly lit against the gloom of a winter's day. The people rushing in and out of the tube stations. The cars and the buses and the bikes crammed into the roads. This was a world that did not know there was a monster in their midst, and that I was on its trail. When I arrived, I parked in front of the house. It overlooked Regent's Park, a view that would, in itself, add some more knots to the price of this property. As I climbed out of the car, a wave of dizziness passed over me. I was running on empty. Forget about the gym, I needed to sleep. I took slow, shallow breaths and felt steadier on my feet. I was going to be fine, I told myself. I had done thousands of interviews in my time in the force and this was just going to be a gentle chat in affluent surroundings. I pressed the buzzer and when a woman's voice asked me what I wanted, I showed my ID to the camera on the door. 
A few moments later, the door opened, and as the cliché says, my breath was taken away. The woman who stood in the hallway was maybe in her early thirties. Her long dark hair hung loose over her shoulders and she had stunning green eyes. She was the most beautiful woman that I had seen in my life. Is there a problem, officer? She asked. I swallowed. All of a sudden, I was a gawky teenager again, who struggled to even speak to a member of the opposite sex. No, I managed to answer. I just have a few questions. She tucked a loose strand of hair behind her ear, and my internal temperature shot up. Oh, sure, she said. Do you want to come in? I followed her down a hallway decorated with ornate paintings. The scent that she was wearing made my skin tingle. We reached a lounge that looked like it was straight out of a Sunday supplement dedicated to the lives of the rich and famous. She stood in the center of the room and smiled. Desire slammed into me. There's nothing to worry about, I said in an unprofessionally shaky voice. But... A phone began to ring in another room. Oh, I better get that, she said. So many party invitations, so little time. And with that, she was gone. I wiped a sweat from my brow. I really needed to get a grip. Splashing cold water on my face would be a start. Do you mind if I use your bathroom? I called out in the direction that she had gone. There was no answer, so I went in search of a bathroom. There were way too many doors and they were all closed, so I would have to take potluck. I knocked on one door, opened it, to see that it was a storage space. I tried the next door along. It was a bedroom. There was a woman lying in the bed. Her long dark hair lay over her shoulders and her beautiful green eyes stared blindly up at the ceiling. A jagged line of red showed where her throat had been cut. I didn't reach for my radio to call it in. I didn't check her pulse. I just stood there, staring. The dead woman on the bed looked exactly like the woman that I had just been speaking to. She was identical. But how? I heard movement behind me, snapped out of my fugue and spun around. The woman was standing there and she was very much alive. And she sounded perfectly calm when she said it. Oh, you found her. That's such a shame. I could have had so much fun in this shape. Still, easy come, easy go. A new smile played across her lips, and as I watched with mounting horror as her features shifted, her eyes grew larger and darker until they were brown. Her hair receded and flecks of gray appeared in it, and there were flecks of gray in the dark stubble that now lined her chin. A cold wave of fear passed through me as I struggled to comprehend what was happening. The woman that had been standing in front of me was gone, and I was looking at myself. The bags under my eyes, the scar on my left cheek where I had been slashed when I was a constable on the beat, they were all there. It was like I was looking in a mirror. My flesh and blood, a reflection grinned and said in my voice, Oh, this shape does not meet my usual high standard. I favor the aesthetically perfect and a certain standard of lifestyle. But I can't maintain each form for long, so I need a new pretty face and top body to become once more desirable and successful. 
Oh, well, after I dispose of you, I will move on. Find a new handsome man or woman and shapeshift into them. First, though, there is the little matter of cutting your throat. With a swift movement, he produced a blade. It was long and viciously sharp. He moved towards me with a cold and calculating expression in his eyes. The blade was in his right hand. He was raising it. One accurate cut was all that it would take. I would be dead and bled out on the floor. Terror pulsed through my veins. He lunged, but I managed to parry him with my arm, which began to burn with pain. He had slashed my forearm from wrist to elbow, and there was blood everywhere. I felt nauseous, and it felt like the world began to spin around me. And he came at me again. This time, I met him head on, screaming out and throwing myself against him with every ounce of strength that I could muster. For a moment, we were two tangled bodies, and I found myself lying on top of him on the floor. I rolled away and saw that the blade was sticking in his chest. It was in almost up to the hilt. I dragged myself away and propped myself up against the wall. He was looking in horror at the blade protruding from his body. Slowly, his hands shaking like crazy, he pulled it out, and then he howled in pain. It was not the sound that any human being would have made. He howled and he began to change. His face started to ripple. His eyes became dark, empty cavities, and his lips shriveled, revealing cracked and rotted teeth. His nose collapsed in on itself and his skin fell away. His hands twisted into sharp stumps. I watched, paralyzed by fear, as the shape that he had adopted slipped away and the true grotesque being beneath was revealed. It looked at me with its foul eyes and snarled in a distorted voice. I will not die here. I will not become a freak to be dissected and hidden away. It began to crawl towards the open door. I held up a hand and whispered, Don't. And then I passed out. I rose in and out of consciousness over the hours that followed, and there are still gaps in my memory. 24 hours had passed before the medic said that I was fit enough to be interviewed. Two detectives that I did not recognize sat by my bed in the hospital, and they read me my rights. And then they told me that a neighbor had heard shouting and screaming and they had phoned the police. By the time responding officers had arrived, it was too late. I was found in the room with the body of the victim, and there was a blade on the floor. It was clear that the detectives' minds were already made up. Well, it looks like she fought back before you killed her. One of them said, their voice cold and hard. That seems clear to us, his colleague added. So, you need to come clean. Confess. That was eight months ago. I'm on remand now, and each night I wake from a nightmare and lay staring at the ceiling of my prison cell. I'm locked in for 23 out of every 24 hours, apart from the days when my solicitor visits, that I get an extra 30 minutes, which I spend in a windowless room. My trial is coming up, and at the meetings, my solicitor pleads with me to forget about what I had told the police in the interview, and to tell them what really happened, to tell them the truth. But this is the truth. I had been on the trail of a monster that hid behind a human face.
My video doorbell sends a motion detected alert every night at 2.53 a.m. Written by Lighting Nations. The following are posts from the Roost Video Doorbell Help Forum. After my phone had started spamming motion detected alerts, I did a quick Google search, stumbled across this thread, and created an account. In case it isn't obvious, my username is Lighting Nations. Motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Dan King, 22. Posted on October 27th, 2022 at 3.06 a.m. I'm trying this again because the admins are a bunch of whiny snowflakes who cry whenever somebody uses a naughty word. Video doorbell sends motion alert to my phone every night at 2.53. The tech support keeps saying that it's picking up a banging gate or a squirrel, but that's rubbish. All the camera sees is patio floor and furniture. Can I get some assistance, please? Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Too many top hats. Posted on October 27th, 2022 at 1.08 p.m. I'm in the exact same boat. At 2.53 each night, it's like clockwork. There's a weird pixelation or distortion in the footage, but it works like a charm the rest of the time. I'm monitoring this thread. To tech support, you're not good enough. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53, Paleo 10, posted on October 27th, 2022, at 3.45pm. Mine's doing the same thing. The bloody phone goes off every night and I get an alert with garbled footage. Support lines aren't much help. I've muted notifications for now, but... It's a bit pointless having the camera if it won't warn me and the missus whenever someone's breaking in. A solution would be very much appreciated. Cheers. Reply. Motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Dan King 22. Posted on October 27th, 2022 at 7.29pm. Yeah, I'm glad to see it isn't only me. I've been on the phone to the tech guys for days. Useless. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Deleted user. Posted on October 29th, 2022. At 9.31 a.m. Hi, Dan. There are instructions for fixing this exact issue in the user guide. Page 53. I've attached a PDF version here. Follow the troubleshooting steps and you'll be as good as new. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Dan King 22. Posted on October 29th, 2022. At 1.02 p.m. That is not a guide for a video doorbell. Those are instructions for installing a Samsung smart fridge. 
Did you upload the wrong file? How is that supposed to help anybody? This is a support form for a roost video doorbell. Idiot. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Paleo 10. Posted on October 29th, 2022, at 1.27pm. Dan, just ignore that poster, he's a troll. I'm pretty sure that's his sixth account. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Dan King 22. Posted on October 29th, 2022, at 3pm. Doesn't this idiot have anything better to do? Maybe he should get a job with Roost Tech Support. It can't be that hard. Good news. For once, these technical idiots are sending me a replacement. I just had to shout at them for three hours. Useless, I swear. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Dan King 22. Posted on October 31st, 2022. At 10.59am. The replacement sends these same alerts. No motion in the garden, no intruders, no animals. I checked the video feed and there's nothing. Just a fuzzy shape that I've rated these idiots one star on Amazon. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Lighting Nations. Posted on November 2nd, 2022. 11.50 a.m. Hey everyone, afraid that I'm in the exact same boat. It's triggering at 2.53. The video feed comes out garbled, but it's fine and it works perfectly the rest of the day. The tech guy says that it might be a low tree branch blowing in the wind, but I would expect to be receiving random alerts spaced out across several hours, not once per day at the exact same time. I spent a fair chunk of change in this thing, and now Roost won't even issue a refund, only replacements. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Deleted user. Posted on November 2nd, 2022, at 11.16pm. Nay, hey, sorry, it's my fault, Dan. I was in the garden piping your mom down, wearing camo gear, which is why you couldn't see us. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53, Paleo 10. Posted on November 3rd, 2022, at 8.04. Okay, so I'm not so sure the doorbell is actually the problem. I got held up at work last night, all oh, the joys of working in IT, and I was heating dinner at 2.53 when the microwave fritzed. The digital clock blinked on and off for a full minute. Meanwhile, my echo device stopped mid-song, and I got another motion alert. One minute later, everything had went back to normal. I'll maybe get an electrician round to have a look. Also, the footage distortion keeps getting worse. Now in the alerts, it kind of looks like there's static, except it's warping around the garden. I nearly gave the wife a heart attack. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Lighting Nations. Posted on November 3rd, 2022, at 11.02 a.m. Yeah, that's interesting about the electrics. 
uh, keep us posted. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Too many top ads. Posted on November 4th, 2022 at 3.09 a.m. My TV fritz just now. Same problem as Paleo 10. It blinked on and off for a full minute right as the motion alert came through. Do you think maybe these things are draining power when they do overnight software updates or something? I'm not very technical, and it might not make sense, it's just a thought. I'm gonna go check for grid faults with the console. Such is life in the south of England. Empty office blocks, rising hunger, and now potential rolling blackouts. Lovely. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Lighting Nations. Posted on November 4th, 2022 at 9.19am. Tell me about it. I'm in redacted. The stories that you hear are heartbreaking. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Paleo 10. Posted on November 11th, 2022 at 2.32pm. Seriously, this is spooky. I'm in redacted as well. I'm tempted to say there's a faulty batch of doorbells sitting in an Amazon warehouse somewhere that are going to start blowing fuses. The replacement is on the way out to me, by the way. I arranged it before noticing the problems with the microwave. Had the electrician around and he saw no problems. I would have smashed this thing already, but the missus saw how much I spent on it, so, you know... Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Too many top ads. Posted on November 4th, 2022, at 4.48 p.m. Holy crap, this is too many top ads reporting to you live from Redacted. And the 12 points from England go to. Nah, but seriously. Roost ships internationally. It's weird that we're all in the same city. The console say everything is fine, by the way. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Pixie Chick 01. Posted on November 4th, 2022, at 5.12pm. Hey, experiencing the same issue, also in redacted. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Too many top ads. Posted on November 6th, 2022, at 9.53 a.m. A quick update, the guy who lives three doors down from me also has a roost doorbell. A different model and he is at the exact same problem. Motion alerts and muddled footage at 2.53. It works like a charm at all other times though. Also, we're both now getting garbled audio like feedback wine from an amplifier in the recordings. The fun never ends. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Dan King 22. Posted on November 6, 2022, 9.58 a.m. I'm in redacted, and I'm sick of this rubbish. Can't say what I really think because of stupid admin idiots now getting somebody outside alerts. They sent me a third device. Now installed, and if this one goes off again tonight, I'm going to go outside and rip it off the doorframe and send them the repair bell. I'm sick of this. Motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Dan King 22. Posted on November 7th, 2.53 a.m. 
The device is not working as intended. Go outside at 2.53. Check the camera. Reply. Motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Paleo 10. Posted on November 7th, 7.06am. What do you mean, check the camera? I've got my replacement installed and this one bugs out worse than the one before. Now the bell rings for one minute non-stop and I get constant, there's somebody at the door alerts. Hearing the stupid jingle in my dreams now. I won't even show the wife the footage because it's like a figure made of pixels keeps ringing the bell. Also, hearing the high-pitched screech when I play back footage. I'm seriously about to go all office space on this thing. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Too many top hats. Posted on November 7th at 2022 at 8.19am. Yeah, I'm, I'm confused. Dan, could you elaborate? Preferably with less capital letters and more punctuation than usual. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Paleo 10. Posted on November 8th, 2022 at 2.53am. Dan was right. Go outside at 2.53. Check the camera. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Lighting Nations. Posted on November 8th, 2022 at 11am. What do you mean check the camera? Check what specifically? Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Too many top ads. Posted on November 8th, 2022 at 11.17am. Yeah, plus one. Please elaborate. I've got the same problem as paleo not lighting. Full minute of somebody at the door alerts and constant ding dong ding dong with multiple distortions about the garden. When I play back the recording's audio from outside it's all screechy. Also the app is useless. Tried disabling alerts on the phone but they still came through. I already couldn't sleep cause the wind keeps banging the gate. This is the last thing that I need. I'm fed up to be honest. I'll be hearing that stupid two-note chime forever the way things are going. One more night of this and I'm grabbing the sledgehammer. Let's see if it detects that motion. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53. Too many top ads. Posted on November 11th, 2022 at 2.53 a.m. The others were right. Go outside at 2.53. Check the camera. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53, Lighting Nations, posted on November 9th, 2022, at 9.09am. What? It's freezing this time of year. I'm not going to get out of bed in the middle of the night to check the camera. I've decided to get a ring device instead and cut my losses. It's already been ordered. Cheers. Later that night, my phone buzzed on the bedside table. Like always, a motion detected alert started coming through at 2.53. I pulled up the grainy feed from outside and in it. There were vague suggestions of figures scattered about the garden, by the fence post, under the tree, peeking through downstairs windows. Meanwhile, the soft two-note chime rang out. Ding dong, ding dong. It happened again and again gathering speed, morphing into a hysterical scream. I got up and peeled back the curtain just a few inches. All of a sudden there came a pounding from downstairs. 
A furious thumping so powerful the windows and doors almost burst from their housings. The house became alive with movement. It felt like being trapped inside a tornado. Everything around me rattling and quivering. Storm shutters scratching against walls. The letterbox wrapping away. I sprinted into the bathroom and barricaded myself inside and called the police. The phone buzzing with a chorus of non-stop alerts. There's somebody at your door. There's somebody at your door. There's someone. And then out of nowhere, the house lowered its voice and went back to sleep. I checked my phone. 2.54. Now trembling, I brought up the feed from outside. There was nothing except a peaceful garden and the quiet section of street that lay beyond it. And two officers turned up, checked the footage, and dismissed the encounter as a mixture of technical glitch, an overactive imagination, and some nasty weather. But when I next clicked onto the forum, there were four new posts. Reply, motion alert triggers every night at 2.53, Dan King 22, posted on November 10th, 2022, 2.53 a.m. It's 2.53. Time to come outside. Paleo 10. It's 2.53. Time to come outside. Pixie Chick 01. It's 2.53. It's time to come outside. Too many top hats. It's 2.53. Time to come outside. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed the stories. Wherever you may be in the world, I hope that you're staying safe and sound. And as always, stay creepy.